We are in this series that is called the Spirit-Filled Church. So what we want to be is the Spirit-Filled Church. I don't know if I've made that clear yet. I've just, I've, I'm just circling around this weekend to say the reason why we're in this series is we want to be the Spirit-Filled Church. Now, what that's going to mean for some of us, and it's a bit, it's too late to say this now because we're halfway through the book, but what that's going to mean for some of us is that we, we might hear some things in the text. We might be challenged by things. There might be things present in our walking through of this study that are beyond or outside of our experience, our paradigm. But if something can be outside of our experience, but be present in the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, that's what I want. I want what's, I don't, I am, I'm glad for all of the things that the Lord has done, but I'm still not satisfied with my experience. I want God's experience. I want what God has for us. And so I hope that you'll join me in this almost breathless, relentless pursuit of what it means to be the Spirit-filled church. I want to be like them. I want to do like them. I want to have what they have. I want to do what they did. I want, they turned the world upside down. I don't mind turning Vancouver upside down. And they live righteously. There's a lot of good stuff here. And here's the deal. There are some things that are beyond our, that are beyond our experience. And when things aren't quite part of our frame of reference, sometimes we give those things the old stiff armoroo. Right? If, I'm, if it's not part of my frame of reference, I meet it like this. It must be strange. And if it's strange, it must be wrong. Well, I want to challenge us afresh as we're about halfway through this text and we're right in the in the middle of uh, uh, of uh, the season of ascension and it's going to get ready to celebrate pentecost sunday next week that we say lord whatever you have whatever is true whatever is in your word even if it's not a part of my experience i'm willing to let experience go before my understanding we don't always in fact I, it's sort of rare that we understand something fully before we experience it. Is anybody married? <laughs> Experience precedes understanding. How many of you understood fully how to breathe before you did? I still didn't know. I thought, for, oh, I'm, you, breathe, you suck it area. No, you don't suck it in. Things go down. The air gets forced in. What? I still, to this day, do not understand phones. <laughs> I don't even understand. I don't understand landlines. I understand you pick up a thing. You talk on the wing. How do you talk on the phone? And then a wire, your voice comes out the other end. And now there's not even wires. Hasn't been for a long time. I still don't understand them, but I use them too much. <laughs> what I'm saying is this. Let us allow the Lord to lead us in our, in our experience first. Oh, as it, the, very, the very nature of Pentecost is the experience of the Spirit followed by what meaneth this? And then the explanation and the living out of it. So as we continue to lean into this text, we want to learn what it meant to be the Spirit-built church so that we can live what it means. Lord, help us to do that. Our text this morning is in Acts chapter 13. We're picking it up in verse 4. We're going to read verses 4 through 12. And uh, just as we read it, I'll stop and just uh, color in some of the spots 
just for a little bit of texture before we return to ask the questions, what does it mean and how can we live this? What does it mean and uh, how can we live this? Two of, uh, verse 4, the two of them. Now, who is the two of them? The two of them is Barnabas and Saul. Be sure to say Saul, even if you are ahead of the game. It's still Barnabas and Saul sent out from the church at Antioch. The two, the, the two of them sent out on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, that's a port along the Mediterranean coast, and they sailed from there to Cyprus. Cyprus is an island in the middle of the Mediterranean, middle in quotes. It is where Barnabas is from. They arrived at Salimus, a, a, a port there on the, on the east side of, of Cyprus, and they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogue. Why did they proclaim the word of God in the Jewish synagogue? Because that's the most fertile soil. That would have been the audience most receptive to the promises of Scripture about the Messiah. They proclaim the word of God in the Jewish synagogue. They always start there, and as we watch the story unfold, they start there. Sometimes they have great success. Sometimes it doesn't go so great, and then they have to go elsewhere. And John was with them, John Mark, as their, as their helper. I think I'll pause again and just emphasize that. Everybody say helper. That's the NIV, the, uh, some of the King James and the other ones say, and John, and John was their minister. Minister? Well, he must have been in charge if he was the minister, Right? Minister connotes this idea. You know, I'm, a, I'm the, you know, the, the, in, in Europe, that those are, those are government titles, ministers of what nanny and the hoot thing, right? And oftentimes the, the idea, oh, I'm a minister, that, that carries, it carries or connotes the idea of something prestigious. But um, the word minister or helper there means rower. <laughs> rower. It means under rower. Meaning, go into the boat, go down a floor, go down a floor before that, and there's where the oars are, the ayayumfna. Those are the ministers. That's the word minister. And so if we're a minister of the gospel, that means I'm just, I'm, I'm just here to row the oar. I'm just here to row. I am, this, it, is a, it, is a, it is a not a prestigious, again, not, we're not talking about elevation, we're talking about consecration. But let's keep, keep, let's keep going, already too much time, no time for that. Then they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos, meaning they were on the east side and they traveled around to the west side. Cyprus is basically, not, it, it's an island like islands, it's got a big mountain range and a, and a central peak, so they, they kind of land on the east side where there's a, there's a, a plane, and they come around, blah, blah, blah. they probably came around the south side, I imagine, and they go all the way to the western side to Paphos, uh, where they meet a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. That is not a tavern. <laughs> they meet a Jewish prophet, and they, they, they didn't like, hey, let's, let's hit up, hey, I hope Paphos has a good bar. Anyway, uh, who was an attendant to the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. He wanted to hear the word because he was smart. Uh, then Elimus the sorcerer, for that's what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn. Someone say turn. Turn, twist, you get that, get that, get that language. We're going to see some literary stuff in here. They tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, the what? That's who that is? Oh, I didn't see that coming. Am I right? Wow. Also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, You are a child of the devil. 
and an enemy of everything. That is right. If I, well, next time, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting these like, uh, getting these jokes like I'm going to, next time I do a wedding, co- a marriage conference, I'm going to say, this is not how you fight. <laughs> you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. Uh, you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. You will, will you never stop perverting? Someone say perverting. perverting. Go up, go back up in a second again where I said that he was trying to turn. To, per, to pervert means to twist out of shape. Okay? Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time. Not even able to see the light of the sun. And immediately missed And darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When he, when the proconsul saw what happened, he believed, and he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. The spirit-filled church confronts evil. Now let's learn what it meant, or at least lean into what it meant. We catch up with Barney and. Saul, as they are sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, they come to Cyprus and they proclaim the word of God. When, it's, when Lucas says that they proclaim the word of God, we should remember what he has said. We, we started this in Acts 2 and we talked about the apostolic gospel. And the apostolic gospel usually contains a certain set of bullet points. So the word of God is Jesus Christ, anointed, crucified, buried, raised, ascended, returning, and the giver of the Spirit. So they preached this word from the east end of the island to the west end of the island until they came upon a Jewish sorcerer. They met a magi. Now, not the same kind of magi as, well, it is the same. Do you remember, when's the last time we heard magi? Right? Right? We three kings of old. Okay? Uh, so they met another magi, but and and this 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 is the word for when it says sorcerer, a Jewish sorcerer. This is the word magi, and it means an astrologer, astrologer, someone who practiced astrology, who studied the stars and the planets and tried to derive meaning and messages from them in such a way as to give people direction and to predict outcomes. And this guy is Jewish. What? And that's why he's called a false prophet. Because he was, because although he was Jewish, he was persuading people away from fidelity to the covenant, away from loyalty to God. And he was using false instruments, planets, stars, astrology, Harry Potter. (laughs) To, To give counsel and to predict outcomes. But we need to keep in mind something about this feller. He was an attendant. He was a court official. He was an advisor to the highest government official on the island. There was no political power greater than Paulus, than the proconsul. And this guy is right next to him, advising him, directing him, listening to him. In our, in, in our contemporary setting, if, 
if, uh, oh, we might have, we've got an Amber Alert going on. Find your phones, pray for them. Lord, whoever needs help, help them, help them. It's going to go off until you fix it. And that's the blessing of technology. Don't know how it works, but we're grateful for it. Lord, whoever needs help, whoever needs rescued, send them, surround them, protect them, send angels. Lord, thanks for letting us know so we can pray right now. Lord, if it's a baby, save a baby, save a child, save a young adult. If it's a, 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 a person a little bit beyond their years, help them, save them, Lord. Everybody said amen. amen. In our vernacular, it would imagine going to the, the, the not, maybe not the White House, but some sort of a mansion, a governmental mansion, and the inner, the inner workings, and you go to the main office, and there's the big shot. And next to this big shot, man or woman, is, is a guy named Elimus who is dressed to the nines, probably has a little security in his ear, Right? has people around him assistance, and is definitely, and we understand this kind of in hindsight and with our perspective, he, if, if, if we don't know what's going on, he feels like somehow this guy's in charge, but this guy has power. And you and I understand that there's power going on in his life. That he's, something's going on. So there is political and spiritual influence that, is, that, is, that prevails over the entire state, the entire island, because of his relationship with the proconsul. So what we're trying to say is this is not some sort of street musician. This is not the guy switching around cups next to the bus stop trying to get you out of $5. Does it still $5 or do they charge you more for that? When I was a kid, some guy got my friend. He tricked us out of 5 bucks. I didn't do it because I believe in Jesus. Yeah. This is not a state, this is not some sort of snake charmer. This is an assistant to the highest political power in the land, and he has just stepped forward to challenge these traveling teachers. And so in hindsight, it's easy for us to read it in hindsight and go, psh, Elimus, pathetic, flick. But in the moment, it is real, it is intimidating. It's powerful. There's political power that you feel in the room and real spiritual power bearing down on you. What are you going to do? I'm shocked because I thought, oh, no, I just asked a question and my church is going to answer. You guys are so horrible at rhetorical questions. I was really afraid for a minute about what you were going to say. I thought, Lord, help us. I don't know what they're going to say. What are we going to do? This is high noon. This is high drama. If we're letting Luke tell the story, this is high drama. This is conflict between truth and deception. There is no room here for fists or swords because neither of them will have power to solve. What hangs in the balance is the moral and the spiritual and the eternal consequence of those involved. On one hand, we have, we have truth. On the other hand, we have deception. And in the middle, we have an audience. This conflict resonates throughout time. This is the contest of our time. Powerful voices oppose truth. Voices that are intent on preventing the word of God from being heard or received. What is the way? What should we do? Should we retreat? Should we, <laughs> should we isolate? Should we que sarah, sarah? Should we just coexist? What did they do? We want to learn what it meant so we can live what it means. Well, what did they do? Verse 9. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, 
he spoke. Whoo, this is too wonderful for us to go too fast. Saul, his Jewish name, also called Paul, his Roman name. Now, if we want to just leave it, if we just want to leave it, I can't tell you. I, I, I get so excited reading this, and I thought, well, let me just, as I do, and, and this is just so that you know, just by way of accountability, you know I read 30 or 40 commentaries a week, right? Every time I just want to look at all, I want to get all the eyes with me and look at the passage. And I am absolutely, sometimes, this, don't take this wrong, don't, I'm not, but I get, I get like flabbergasted, disappointed at the academy and their hubris. And their unbelief. There, I said it. Because no, they just read this and they go, and they and they want, and there's, this is this is so dismissed as just a matter of well, you know, now they're in Gentile territory, so gonna, he's going to go by Paul. And I'm thinking, are you missing the drama? Are you reading the story? This is story. This is drama. Luke is telling us something. He this from this point forward, he is no longer Saul of Tarsus. From this moment. He goes from Saul to Paul. This is the flashpoint from where Paul ceases to be who he was and increasingly becomes who he will be. This is that flashpoint. This is the shift. It's possible that Luke's audience, as they're reading it, that they would not even caught on until just now just who this Saul feller was. Who's this Saul? Who's this? <gasps> Paul. But now we see it is in this moment, this stepping forth, this moment of crisis and challenge and threat. Barney's been in charge this whole time. Barney could have been there. Barney could have sat right there. Paul, Saul could have said, hey, you know, uh, Barney, I got an idea. He could have stepped behind him. He could have stepped back and just prayed in tongues. Maybe that's what I would have done. Not a bad idea. Somebody should have. I hope somebody did. You know, he could have looked at, he could have, he could have looked at John Mark and said, well, I wonder what Barney's going to do. But in that moment where Elimus steps forward, he's going to shut down the entire, the Holy Spirit sent them out. Yeah. And Elimus is going to step forward and say, I'm shutting this thing down. In that moment, that real moment, Saul of Tarsus steps forward. Now we get to see him. Now we hear him. Now we feel the Apostle Paul. We begin to see his zeal for God. We begin to see his loathing of falsehood. As cerebral of a man as he was, he was deeply affective. Moved by his heart. He see, we he see his loathing of falsehood. We see his volatile response to anything that would obfuscate the light. To anything that would hinder the knowledge of God. Here we see in action what Paul meant when he said in 2 Corinthians 10, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And this is the flashpoint. This is what we meant last week when we say, ah, let God baptize and sanctify that about you, which is maybe has misfired in the past. God made you the way he made you because he wants to use you. Elimus stepped up and he didn't know that God had brought a lefty. He brought a knuckle dragger. He brought a, he brought a heavy hitter and he stepped forward. There is an altar call of life. 
There is an altar call of life. There's, there's more than one. There are several. But there is an altar call of life that sets in motion a pattern, a trajectory for our lives. How we respond to challenge, to crisis, to op- or even to opportunity can very well define us or redefine us. And I like to consider even more that it could redefine us. Because with every, with every altar call of life comes an opportunity to be redefined, to restore or recalibrate the trajectory, the call of God on our lives. He steps up. And then Luke tells us, he was filled with the Spirit. Would you all say it again? Filled with the Spirit. Luke is telling us that in this moment, Paul experienced a quickening of the Spirit. He's not using an adjective saying that he was full, like he did about Barnabas in Acts chapter 11, a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. This is not an adjective. This is a verb. This is describing an immediate experience. Paul was already filled with the Spirit. We learned that from Ananias in chapter 9, that when Ananias came and said, I've come to lay hands on you to receive your sight, you may be filled with the Spirit. He already was, but now here, one who is filled is filled again. And it makes sense that this would be the one who would write to us later in Ephesians chapter 5 and 18 and tell us to keep being filled with the Spirit, to be being made filled with the Spirit. Filled here means to come under the influence of the Spirit. In that moment, Paul came under (laughs) the influence of the Spirit. He is filled again in anticipation of challenge so that he might respond to and address it under the influence, under the enabling of the Spirit. And then Luke says that under the influence of the Spirit, Paul, I like this, looks straight at Elimus looked straight at him. Some versions say looked intently. Others say he fixed his gaze. He stared at him. That's a, you think, are you just making up stuff out of the grammar? No, because Luke uses this often. He started using this in Acts chapter 3 at the healing of the gate beautiful. The man looked intently at Peter and John expecting to receive from them. They looked at him and then they said to him, look at us. Look at us. There is something about faith that has a fixed gaze. It does, faith does not look away from danger. Faith does not look away from threat. Faith does not look away from opportunity. Faith does not even look away from evil. We cannot confront what we avoid. We can't solve it unless we're willing to stare at it. And there's something that about staring by faith into something that steals our courage, that stirs our affection, that causes our hearts and minds to lean into the voice of the Spirit. Fear looks away. Faith will get distracted. I mean, fear looks away. Doubt will get distracted. But faith has a focus. He looks straight at Elimus and spoke (laughs) this has every inclination every feel every vibe of an immediate the the quickening of the spirit with a prophetic response this is every idea that paul is speaking under the inspiration of the spirit in a prophetic way this is a spirit supplied word it's super important that's not just lord help them again 
Again. Again. Okay. I'm not, we're not distracted by that. Look, if your Aunt Susie's calling you, tell her you call her back. But those are alerts. Here's a spirit-supplied word. It's important for us to emphasize this because if we read what Paul said, it's, it's tempting to hear what you want to hear. It's tempting for you to hear, oh, look at Paul. Look at him. He, he just, he popped off. Look at him. He gave that Elimus a piece of his mind, and that's the spirit-filled church. And I want to learn what it meant so I can live what it means. I can't wait to just, to just load up and just give people a piece of my mind. This is not Paul passing out burns or insults or, or, or snark on the Internet. This is Paul under the influence of the Spirit, focused, speaking truth. We've got to pause and just say, if we, if we asked earlier, what did they do? Let's, let's catch up so far. How do, we, how do we confront deception? How do we confront evil? It, it requires people who will come under the influence of the Spirit and look directly into the eyes of opportunity or threat and speak the truth. Here's what he said. You child of the devil, an enemy of everything that is right, you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? He is speaking truth. He is bringing light where darkness was attempting to cloud the minds of men. You are an agent of the devil. You are an enemy of virtue. You are full of deceit. And you are perverting what is right. Now this tells us something about Elimus. But it also tells us something about the nature of evil in our world. What's the nature of evil? It, 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 the, so, its source is Satan. People are his pawns, but they are not the enemy. It's the source of evil is Satan. You are a child of the devil. He attributed the source of this to the devil himself. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, Paul says that our struggle, and we're in one, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It tells us that evil is opposed to everything that is virtuous. It tells us that evil operates as bait, as a trap of wickedness. It is malignant. It has an intense ill will. And it perverts. To pervert means to twist out of shape. Something that was straight and true gets to, perver to pervert it means to turn it, to twist it out of shape. This is what evil does. It takes what is true and twists it and yet calls itself true. Then Paul continues in verse 11. Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And immediately mist and darkness came over him. And he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what happened, he believed. For he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Wow. Now the hand of the Lord, Paul says, is against you. When he says the hand of the Lord, he's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be, this is, he's going to, this is going to be the hand of God. Paul did not say, hey, let's step outside. Let's, let's duke it out, mano e mano. He says he's going to trust this to the hand of the Lord. In our confrontation of deception and evil, we put our confidence in the hand of the Lord, not yours. Jesus said, put your sword away. 
And then he says, you're going to go blind. Listen, the one who darkened the minds of others would then be cut off from the light. Now, this was actual. An actual mist came over him. He couldn't even see the sun. But at other times, it, it happens to those who deceive others. They end up wandering blindly in their own deceptions. We might ask, and because people do, hey, does Jesus still do this kind of thing? Well, not Facebook, Jesus. Uh, does Jesus still do this kind of thing, or does he just pass out daisies and ride rainbows? Um, well, we keep, need to keep in mind that what happened here is not the use of force, and it's not even the threat of fear. This is the hand of the Lord stretched out to confront and expose evil, and it was for a time. It was for a time. The, in, the idea here is that it, it, it's less punitive and more corrective. For a time, you will not be able to see. Remember that the one speaking these words himself was blinded for a time until he could see. So this was not a battle of egos. This was a power encounter. Now, this fall, in all of our groups, we're going to ask our groups to go through John Wimber's classic book, Power Evangelism. Now, that is not a book training us how to be Avengers. <laughs> it is a book that trains us to be disciples of Jesus and to trust the Holy Spirit to show up when we share God's word. And he calls these power encounters. It can be any kind of thing, but we trust the hand of God to help us. This is the Spirit-filled church speaking truth under the influence of the Spirit without force, without fear, but with power. And in this case, Elimus was exposed, and the proconsul believed, and they lived happily ever after. Okay? Luke loves to conclude a story by emphasizing the ongoing victory of the Word of God to remind us of our hope, our purpose, our calling, our resolve. The Word of God will keep moving forward as we are the Spirit-filled church. So how does the Spirit-filled church confront evil? By responding to the altar call of life. Showing up, stepping up, Stepping forward when darkness tries to assert its influence. And by receiving and relying upon the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And then by staring directly into the face of our circumstance. Whether that is need, whether that is threat, whether that is opportunity. We stare directly into the face of our circumstance and speak the truth while trusting the hand of God. This is the Spirit-filled church. Now, it's important for us to note that in this story, if we had a little cut scene, perhaps as after the credits rolled, and there was a little cut scene, a little after scene, perhaps we would see the pro-council there re reading, reading the, the scriptures. Perhaps some of the those that traveled stick, stayed behind and talked about the Lord. Perhaps Elimus has come around and everybody kind of calls him a nickname. Hey, hey, wise guy, you know. But now he's learned his lesson and he's, he's learning to lean into Jesus, not going to bar Jesus. <laughs> the scene looks pretty good. 
But as we read through the book of Acts, we need to remember that sometimes it doesn't end that way. When the spirit-filled church confronts deceit and evil, sometimes it ends in beatings. Sometimes it ends in prison. And sometimes it ends in martyrdom. Confronting evil can be costly. But it is what we do. We are the Spirit-filled church. We have a mission. Can I ask you to bow your heads across this house? Feel prompted to just talk to a couple of, two or three of you maybe, maybe more. Maybe a host of you. Are you here this morning and you can identify as one who is right in the midst of an altar call of life? That where you are, you are facing opportunity, threat, concern, challenge. How you respond to this could very well lead to to defining or redefining the days ahead. But right now, you're at an altar call of life, and you know that you need to step up, to step forward, to stand up. Are you here this morning? Are you facing an altar call of life? Will you stand right where you are? identify with that, just stand right where you are. Right in the middle of one of these altars. I want to remind you that you are exactly who you are supposed to be. I want to remind you that you are exactly who God made you to be and God's call is on your life. His hand is on your life. And if you're facing this altar call, God knew about it beforehand and God is with you. God is for you. God has good things for you. So my only counsel to you today is this. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you want to open up your hands, even as a gesture, just to help you understand what that means. Lord, today, as we face these altar calls, these circumstances in our life, we want to face them under the full, complete influence of your Spirit. We want to come under the full influence of your Holy Spirit today. Friends, in the name of Jesus, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's all just open our hearts to him today, can we? Let's stand together. Let's just turn this whole room into an altar. Let's receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit together. Come on, let the breath of God fall across this house. Spirit of the
you, pray for you this morning. We have prayer workers that will come to the front, pray with you for the infilling, the influence, the enabling of God's Spirit to walk with you today. Otherwise, friends, go knowing that where you go, we go. Go under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Go trusting the hand of God. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for being here.